Um, So um, today we are scheduled to start a new series called How Not to Read the Bible. Um, If you don't have this book, you might want to get it. I'll be giving some away over the next few weeks, so don't spend any money just yet, because you might get a free one if you play your cards right. Super excited about this series because I believe a lot of us are confused in our faith about weird stuff we read in the Bible. And if you've never been confused, if you've been like me, I've been reading the Bible my whole life, and I learned to just kind of push stuff down. Like I read something that doesn't make sense to me, and I think, well, I'll just understand that in heaven someday. And that's really great until, listen, a kid goes to college, and his philosophy professor says, well, this God of yours condones slavery. How about that? Right? This God of yours condones violence. How about that? This God of yours hates women. How about that? And it really causes some challenges to come up. And if we haven't prepared ourselves for what the Bible really says and what the Bible really is, we're going to get mixed up and we're going to start doubting our faith. And it's not because the Bible's not true. It's because maybe we've misunderstood some stuff about the Bible. So I am super excited about this series. It's scheduled to start today, and it's not going to. Uh, Because, I don't know, man, I felt like we need to take a little pause to talk about something that seems to be bothering a lot of people, and the subject is failure and sin, and I'm not talking about other people's sins, and if you're a believer, I'm not even talking about, like, all the banks you robbed and the murders you committed and all the old ladies you pushed down and all the baby kittens that you drowned before you were a Christian. I'm talking about sins and failures that have happened since you've been a Christian. And I'm not even so much talking about the sin itself, because you probably know what you did, and you probably know that it was wrong. I bet if you're you're a Christian and you've sinned, maybe you just became a Christian five minutes ago, right? But maybe you've you've been a Christian for 50 years, and you've got some deep, dark sin. You know it's wrong. You know it's wrong, and it's probably bothering you that it's inside and nobody knows about it. So think of your worst sin, the ugliest thing you've ever, things that you're most ashamed of that you've ever done since you were a Christian. Think of it right now. I'm going to count to three, and we're going to yell it out. (laughs) (laughs) Who's in? (laughs) Zero. Okay. That's okay. We don't have to do that. Let me just, I'll go a different route. Um, I don't, we don't need to do that anyway, because I don't really even want to talk about the sin. What I want to talk about is what you felt when you did it. What I want to talk about is that feeling that you had after you failed, that, that voice that you heard after you like dropped the ball, because I have had a rash of people, solid Christian people, good Jesus followers, that are really concerned because they've experienced some kind of failure or they've had some kind of sin and their failure got them thinking that like maybe their Christianity is broken or maybe it's like not working for them or maybe like it didn't take, you know? Like when people have an organ transplant, the big concern is that their body won't, it'll reject the new organ so they take anti-rejection medicine, right? And I think some people think, I don't know, I'm supposed to get this new heart, but Maybe my body's rejecting it because I keep sinning and I keep failing and I just know something's wrong and I just have these feelings like, I don't know, maybe I'm not saved anymore or maybe I never was or maybe at least God's mad at me or I've now become like a second tier Christian, like a, a backup. Like, in sports, you know, I like got the second string and the third. Maybe I'm like a third string Christian now. 
Or maybe these things aren't right between God and me after all. So let me tell you the story, or a couple of them, that messed me up from preaching what we came to preach today, okay? First one was a lady that came to talk to me the other day. This is a Bible believer. You know her. I won't tell you her name, but you know her, and she's always around you. She's been a Jesus follower since she's a little girl. Nobody has ever talked to her that has not seen Jesus in her, right? This is that person. She makes an appointment to come talk to me the other day, and I didn't know, you know, what she wanted to talk about. So she comes in, and I, well, what are we going to talk about? And she goes, I don't think I'm saved. I don't, I don't, know, that I, I don't know if I'm saved. And I said, well, what? What, what are we talking about, you know? What, what brought this on? And she goes, I just don't read the Bible like I should, you know? And I just feel like if I was a Jesus follower, I would wanna know Jesus more. And I just, I can't get interested in it, and I just don't, I, I just think if I was a Christian, I would want it more. So I think maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just not a Christian. And then a second person came, and this is, listen, follow this reasoning. Um, there's a verse in Romans 8 that says, people that are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things, and that leads to death. And then people that are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit, and that leads to life and peace. And so she said, I don't know, I've, I've been having these sinful thoughts. And I guess that means I'm being controlled by the sinful nature, and that leads to death. So, I mean, am I spiritually dead? Am I separated from God? And if you knew who it was, you would like slap her, right? What are you talking about, you know? But this is it's a real struggle, and, and like they both, and now it's been two or three other people have come and talked to me, and it's like they can't stop thinking about it. Like they just keep hearing God say, you blew it. They just keep hearing God say, you blew it. And it's like, well, what's wrong with me? You know, why do I keep making these mistakes? Is God mad at me? Am I out now? Am I just not saved? Was I never saved in the first place? And their minds are just, you know, your mind just like goes sometimes. And you just, it, it, I'm thinking something that's just, and it's off on some just crazy. So this thinking is like, well, I haven't been reading my Bible. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing hearing the word of God, and I'm not hearing the word of God, so I don't have any faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God, so I'm not pleasing God, so he must be mad at me, so I'm going to hell. And it's like, you just, like, just, like, pump the brakes for a second here. That's a, that's, that's a big jump to go from, I haven't been reading my Bible like I should, to now I'm going to burn in hell forever. Or how about this one? This, like, this may be a slight exaggeration. This person said, you know, I've been trying to stay off of sugar, and it's kind of like a little fast I'm doing. I'm trying to get closer to God. I'm not going to eat sugar, and the other night I ate a bag of Oreos. Okay, so, like, that can only mean I have no self-control, right? What else could it mean? I have no self-control, and I see that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So I guess that means I don't have the Spirit in me. And Romans 8 and 9 says, remember that don't have the Spirit of Christ living in him, don't belong to him at all. So I don't believe in, I guess I don't belong to Jesus, so I'm going to burn in hell over Oreos. Right, and they weren't even double stuff. <laughs> and again, I like that's a pretty big jump. That's a pretty big jump to I ate a bag of Oreos and now God hates me and I'm separated from Him forever. And I know those are like slight exaggerations, or maybe they sound like exaggerations. But do you ever feel like that a little? Like, do you ever have this feeling like if I was following Jesus, I should be closer to Him by now? You know, I should be praying more. I should be reading the Bible more. 
I should be losing my temper less. I should be sinning less. And I, I should have better self-control. And I can just only figure, that just has to mean that I'm not following Jesus. And I just can't stop thinking, like God must be so disappointed. I've just let him down to the point that he's got to be mad at me. Maybe I don't have a relationship with him. Or at best, maybe I'm like kind of saved or barely saved. So let's start with this. Um, How many of you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, I'm gonna ask you to raise your right hand and just hold it up. You believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, keep them up now. And now, if Jesus is Lord of your life, I'll ask you to also raise your left hand. Okay, so you can put them down now. And if you're online joining us, I hope you didn't get fired from your job just now. Um, good news for you people that, if you raise both hands, if you're a two-hander, then here's the good news, you're saved, dude. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven, and that's your old sins and your new sins and your future sins. And God's Spirit lives inside of you. And you're going to go to heaven and spend forever with Jesus. You're saved. If you're a two-hander, you're saved. Is that presumptuous of me to say that? Like, do I have the authority to say that, and no, I don't have that authority, and no, it's not presumptuous, because I'm saying it on the authority of what the Bible says, because the scripture we just talked about a minute ago, Romans 10, 9 says, if you openly declare, if you say it with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, so if you really believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you've really made him Lord of your life, then that's it, you're saved, and not reading the Bible enough doesn't make you unsaved, because reading the Bible didn't make you saved in the first place. It's a great thing to do, right? You should, you should absolutely read the Bible, but that's not what saved you. And like, not lying doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. Being good doesn't save you. Being bad doesn't unsave you. What saves you? believing that God raised Jesus from the dead and making him Lord of your life. So if you've done, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you really think he's the king even of death, if you really think that, and you've really made him Lord of your life and you're really following him, you're saved. That's, that's good news. But let's talk about this feeling that we have when we fail. Right? This voice that we hear, that you blew it again, and you guys believe the Bible, right? Right? Oh, phew, I thought I was in the wrong church for a second. Okay, so Romans 8.1 is a really important verse. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. David said he was gonna hide God's word away in his heart. 
right? Not in a book, not on his phone. He was going to hide God's word in his heart. So we're going to do that today. We're going to memorize this verse today, okay? We're going to have a memory verse. And when you get in the car and your parents say, what did you learn at church today? You can say, well, here's my memory verse. Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So repeat after me. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Again, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay, quick question. Is there condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus? Okay, quick follow-up question. How much condemnation is there for those of us who follow Christ Jesus? There is no condemnation. It says right there, there is no condemnation for those of us who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you're saved, if you belong to Jesus, and you hear a voice saying that you're condemned, you blew it, and you're separated from God, and now you're going to burn in hell forever, that is not God's voice. Because that's a lie. And God doesn't lie. How do I know that it's a lie? Because it says right here, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And condemnation means you're condemned. That's what it means, that you're not saved, that you're separated from God, that you're going to hell. And if some voice in your head is saying, oh man, you ate those Oreos, you know, or you, you didn't read your Bible enough, you missed church two weeks in a row, you shouldn't have said that thing, you shouldn't have done that thing, you shouldn't have thought that thing, and now you are out. God is so mad at you. He's so disappointed in you. He hates you now. You're going to burn. That's not God's voice. Why would he write it that there is no condemnation? And then when his mouth say that there is condemnation, right? God's not confused. It's one or the other. There is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Even if you eat Oreos, you shouldn't. There's no condemnation for you. Even if you miss church, There is no condemnation for you. Even if you push down an old lady, there is no condemnation for you. Even if you drown a baby kitten, which, there's no condemnation for you. Even if you don't give enough money in the offering, well, uh, those other ones for sure, okay? Even when you fail, There is no condemnation. Two-handers, it's a good day for us, man. There's no condemnation for you. You cannot, your sin can't separate you from God. It can't. You know why? Because nothing can. Okay, this is Romans 8, 38. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death or life or angels or demons or fears for today or worries about tomorrow Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not Oreos, not missing church, not saying that thing or doing that thing or repeating that sin or making that mistake for the 10,000th time. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. And I'm just going to tell you that I believe we have an enemy. You believe that? Let me see your hand. I'm serious. We have an enemy. He hates you. He hates you, and he can't take away your salvation. He can't, but he can try to take away your joy. He can try to take away your peace. He can confuse you by saying, you know, you blew it again. You're probably not saved anyway. Why don't you just give up and just start living like hell now? I, I think that's like, well, that's like his best trick. He can't take your salvation, so he takes your peace. So he takes your joy. 
So he, he replaces that with shame and fear, like you're afraid of God who loves you. So here's the story. You guys have heard me tell this story before, but this, this, to me this just completely like, represents this idea of being afraid of God no matter what you do. It's a story about my grandmother. So my grandmother is like the most devout, disciplined Christian in history, right? So she went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every week of her life. She never cussed. She never smoked a cigarette. She never drank. She, like, she, listen to this. She lived her whole life on a farm, and she never wore a pair of pants. You know why? Because Christian women wear girdles and dresses, right? She just was like this ultra, super disciplined. She was gonna do it right no matter. I, she never got mad. She never did anything. She was miserable, but she was following those rules, right? Okay, so now this is a lifetime of this, a lifetime of this, right? Now she's 96 years old, and she's in the hospice hospital, and she's dying. And if you've been around people at this stage of life, they start doing this weird thing where they're breathing funny, like they don't breathe for two or three minutes, and then they breathe really fast, and then they don't breathe for a long time. It's like, okay, you know, like this is it. And so she'd been in a lot of pain and all this stuff. And so I was with her, and I leaned over to her, and I said, it's almost over. It's almost over. No more pain. No more worry. No more frustration. You're about to be with Jesus. It's almost over. the last thing she said to me was, I hope so. I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough good stuff. I hope I haven't had one sin too many. And after 96 years, I hope I'm not going to get to heaven. And God's going to say, sorry. I hope so. And that just that broke my heart. And I'm telling you, that broke Jesus' heart. Because he said he came to give us life. But not just any life. Not just a regular life. He said he came to give us rich life and satisfying life and abundant life. And rich, satisfying, abundant life is not spending your whole life afraid of God and wondering if he's going to drop the hammer because you, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That, that sin pushed me over the edge. You can have 99, but you can't have 100. And I went over and I'm going to burn. That is not abundant life. That is not what Jesus wants for you. He doesn't want us to wonder he doesn't want us to hope so. First um, John 5.13 says, I have written to the, this to you who believe in the name of the sons of God. That's us. That's two-handers, right? I have written this to you, those of you that believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may, say this word with me, so that you may know you have eternal life. Not wish you have eternal life. Not wonder if you have eternal life. Not hope that you have eternal life. So that you may no, 
you have eternal life. There is no condemnation for those of us who belong to Christ Jesus. Are we 100% clear on that? Are we 100% clear on that? Do we all agree on that? Because I could start this whole thing over. (laughs) I got no place to be. Okay, so here, but that brings up a fair question, right? Then what is this feeling that I have, right, when I make a mistake? What is this voice that's telling me, you know, you blew it again? I know it's not condemnation, but what is it? And who is it? And that, I mean, that's a legit question, right? Um, So I'll tell you, it might be the devil in your ear. It's like on TV, like on your shoulder right there, right? It might be the devil trying to make you quit and give up. It might be the devil trying to steal your joy. It might be the devil trying to make you afraid of God. It might be somebody else. It might even be like a well-intentioned person that just doesn't know that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So they're telling you, oh, you blew it. You're going to hell now. I mean, maybe they just don't know that. Um, It might be you. You know, the voice you hear the most is yours, right? So it might be you like projecting some weird shame or guilt or judgment on God and like putting words in his mouth. It might be your voice you're hearing or it might be God because if you belong to Jesus, God will never condemn you, but he will convict you. If you belong to Jesus, God will never condemn you, but he will convict you. And sometimes I think we hear we, we think it's the voice of condemnation that we're hearing, and what we're really hearing is the voice of conviction. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us as Christians, and his job is to convince, convict us of our sin and make us more like Jesus. And yeah, God does do that. He does speak to us about our sin, but it's not condemnation, it's conviction. And look at this verse in Philippians. It's Philippians 2.13. It says, God is working. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to us. He's talking to the two-handers, right? He's talking to us. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So he's not only giving it, telling us what pleases him and what we need to change and what we need to do differently or how we need to grow, he's also giving us the power to do it. Max Lucado had a great quote about this. He says, God loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way because he wants you to be just like Jesus. And that is... A big job, man. That is work, especially for some of us like super sinners, right? It's work to to transform this into Jesus. I mean, that's 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 work. But here's what's key: it's not our work. It's God's work. Take a look at this verse, Philippians one six. It says, "I am certain." Again, he's writing to Christians, right? He's writing to people to all like us. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day Christ Jesus returns. So who began the good work in you? I'm sorry? God. And who's continuing the work? Yeah. Whose work is it? It's God's work. And when's that going to get done? The day that Christ Jesus. So you're not going to get there today. And you're not going to get there tomorrow. And you're not going to get there yourself. It's work that God is doing in us. He started this good work in us. He's continuing this good work in us, and he's going to keep working on us until Christ Jesus returns. And he does that with this voice of conviction, not condemnation. He's not saying, I'm against you because you blew it. You're going to hell now because you blew it. I'm separated you because you blew it. It's conviction. This is, conviction is God saying, you know what? I want the best for you. I, I, I love you. 
I want what's best for you, and what's best for you is not lying, and it's not stealing, and it's not watching porn, and it's not drowning baby kittens, and it's not eating too many Oreos, right? What's best for you is to be just like Jesus, and so we're going to make some changes. And so he speaks to you, but he's not saying you're condemned. He's not saying I'm mad at you. He's not saying I hate you now. What he's saying is I have something better for you. And I want something higher for you. I'm making you like Jesus, and I'm, I am developing the Jesus that's already in you. And this is just a tweak, man. This is just like a step that we're going to take. This is, an, this is one improvement towards that goal. This is like one step on your journey of becoming Christ-like. The fancy word for this process in us, that this is the Christian word, right? This is the churchy word, sanctification. Right? That is this work of taking this broken, sinful person who accepts Jesus on this day and slowly making him better, 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 until the day Jesus returns, and then he's just like Jesus. And I have two illustrations that I love of this. My second favorite illustration of sanctification is David. Not the person, the statue. Really famous statue of David. Some of you have seen it. So this thing is solid marble. It's um, 17 feet tall. It's about 12,000 pounds. It's insured for $200 million. And it is an amazing work of art. And you've probably heard these stories, but it's a really interesting kind of backstory to this thing. So this was at one time a giant block of, it's 17 feet tall, a giant block of marble. And uh, an artist was commissioned to, you know, sculpt it into something. And he started the work and he said, I can't. It's just too flawed. It's just not a good piece of marble. It's just, I need to get something better. So it goes to like this junkyard. And then later, Michelangelo comes along and he sees this chunk of marble with all of its cracks and imperfections. He sees that thing and he saw something in that chunk of marble. And this giant boulder, he saw something. And what he saw was that. And so he went to work, right, with a chisel and a gouge and a saw and sandpaper and he scraped and, and sanded and, and, and chiseled and chipped away chunks of that thing until he created this masterpiece. And sanctification is God looking at you and saying, I see something in there. I see Jesus. And then he goes to work creating his, in fact, Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. He's chipping, and he's gouging, and he's scraping, and he's sanding. Do those sound like comfortable things to you? They're not. I mean, that's what feels like. I don't like, I don't like the chipping. I don't like the sanding. I don't like hearing that voice saying that I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, that's, that's, chisels are like that. You know, sandpaper is like that. It's, it's a little uncomfortable. So you remember that part we talked about about making him Lord? Because it's two parts, remember, the two-handers, right? So the first thing is we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. But the other thing is we've made him Lord of our lives. And what that means, making him Lord, means I will trust him so much that I will yield to the chiseling and the sanding and the gouging and the scraping. And I'll listen to that voice, not out of fear of condemnation, but out of conviction and trust that God knows what's best for me and he knows what I need. 
When you get a chance, read Romans 8 this week. Really, really amazing chapter. Let me give you a few verses. This is Romans 8, 12. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. It's like a revelation for a lot of people. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you gotta do it, right? And so what this is saying is you're gonna have thoughts. You're gonna have urges. You're gonna have temptations, but you don't have to give in to them, and you shouldn't give in to them. Look at verse 13. It's talking about the sinful nature, right? For if you live by its dictates, if you live by the dictates of your sinful nature, you'll die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, then you will live. So you'll have these thoughts, you'll have these urges, you'll have these temptations, but His Spirit in you will empower you to overcome them and to not follow through on them. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, all who hear that voice, Right? All who allow the chiseling, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And so his voice speaking to you, his voice convicting you is proof to you that you are his child, that you belong to God, you belong to Jesus. Verse 15. So you haven't received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. This is my grandmother, right? You haven't, that's not the, you haven't received the spirit that makes you fearful slave. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he <clears throat> adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Paul loves drawing this distinction between slaves and children. He does it over and over and over. And it's a really important dis distinction because like a slave, if I'm working for it, right? I'm a slave. I don't want to lose my place. If I fail, then I might get punished, right? If I fail, I might get killed, right? When a slave fails, when a slave falls, bad stuff happens. But kids, your kids fall down all the time, right? Have you ever seen a, like a baby when they're learning to walk and they're doing like that drunk zombie thing, you know, like this, Right? And like they fall a hundred times and it's not that bad because their legs are only this long and so they're not falling that far and they got that big padded diaper deal going so it's not that big a thing when they fall but they well, you've seen it right they're walking they're walking they're walking and they fall and they're walking and they're walking and they're walking and they fall and, and their parents are coke oh you can do it you can do it and they're trying and they're trying and they're falling and they're falling have you ever seen a parent say you know what that's it uh, you know how hard is it right it's left right left right Right? It's not, you're two years old, man. Come on, right? You're out of the family. You're out of the, you're done, right? It, no, when the baby falls, the parents pick them up, right? And they, they, they encourage them, and they take their little hands, and they, like, help them, and they, they show them a better way to do it. And if you belong to Jesus, God loves you like a perfect father. And when you fall, He's not condemning you. He's not done with you. You're not out of the family. He wants to encourage you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to hold your little hands and show you a better way and help you take the next steps to becoming like Jesus. If you belong to Jesus and you fail and you hear God's voice, that's great, but don't put words in his mouth. He's not saying, I hate you. He's not saying you're out. He's not saying you're gonna burn. He's saying, I have a better way for you, and I love you. Let me help you. So here's a good, like, summary of all of this. In fact, if you forget everything else that I said today, remember this, okay? If somebody is asleep right next to you, give them an elbow right now, okay? Um, here it is. If you belong to Jesus, there is no condemnation for you, only conviction 
If you don't belong to Jesus, there is no conviction for you. There's only condemnation. There's no, con- there's no conviction for people that are not full of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we shouldn't be surprised when you look around and you see the evil and the debauchery and the horrible, and you say, how can people live like that? How can people do these gross, horrible, awful things? Well, those are people that are living from their sinful nature, and and they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, and no one's at work changing them, and they aren't hearing that voice. And that's how they can sin like crazy and then sleep like a baby. They have no conviction. But just like a good father, God corrects the ones that he loves. And so when you fail and when you sin and when you hear that voice, maybe it is God's voice, but don't put words in his mouth. He's not convicting you or condemning you. He is convicting you. If you belong to Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. There's only conviction. If you don't belong to Jesus, there's no conviction for you only condemnation. So if you belong to Jesus and you hear that voice saying, I got something better for you, I have higher plans for you, it's not a sign that you've lost your salvation. It's not a sign that God's mad at you. It doesn't mean that you're unsaved. It means the opposite. It means you are saved. And his spirit is in you. And God is working on his masterpiece. And the masterpiece is you. So I'll finish with my very favorite illustration about sanctification and it is um, Jesus jelly donuts so oh yeah jelly donuts seen these before so jelly donuts are cool because it's a donut and donuts are you know good but they inject a little jelly in the middle there's like a little blob of jelly in the middle and you don't know how much jelly you're gonna get Right, and so sometimes you take a bite, and like first bite is like (laughs) jelly. First bite. Some of these things are awesome because they're like almost all jelly, but then once in a while you get one, and it's got this little tiny dab of jelly in the middle, and it's really just mostly bread, and that's like super disappointing. Get it? Not really. Okay, so. The best jelly donut would be like almost 100% jelly, right? And just like a thin little outer layer containing the jelly of donut, right? So when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you like a little dab of Jesus jelly, right? And this work of sanctification is God expanding that jelly till eventually It's every day a little more jelly and a little less donut. It's a little more Jesus and a little less me, right? And on the day Christ Jesus returns, we're gonna be pretty much pure jelly. Okay, does that make sense to you? That's Jesus jelly sanctification. So when you you fall, when you fail, and you hear that voice of conviction, it's not condemnation. It's God chipping and gouging and sanding and making you more like Jesus. It's God growing and expanding your Jesus jelly. And he's gonna continue to do that until the day Christ Jesus returns. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your love for us. And thank you for the way that you pursue us even though we run from you and for the way that you continue to love us even when we fail you. 
And I thank you for the permanent work that Jesus did for us on the cross that changes our eternity forever the minute we accept him as Lord of our life. And so God, I just, just pray that you will continue this work that I know you want to do in us and that you'll just open us up to when your voice is speaking to us, these are changes that you're making in us. So help us to see them for what they are. They're not condemnation. They're not you giving up on us. They're the opposite of that. They're you continuing the work that you began in us, chipping and gouging away imperfections and just expanding the spirit in us so that we're more and more like Jesus and less and less like us. And that's our goal. So Lord, we thank you because we share that with you. We both want the same thing. We want to be like Jesus, so help us to do that. In his name, amen. Real quick before you go, if you became a Christian today, if you're online, please let us know in the comments. If you're in this room, please go back to the Connection Center and just tell them that you became a Christian today. If you're visiting with us for the first time, go back to that first-timer station. They've got a free gift for you as well. God bless you guys. Next week, we will do How Not to Read the Bible.